What's up, guys? This is Cannon Brown from the podcast called The Show. I want to quickly tell you about the three other podcasts in the Barra Media Podcast Network. We've got Legendary Mindset with Jake P. Richardson, The Keeper Pin with Maddie Caldwell and Jenna Wheeler. We've got Mine, The Show with Cannon Brown, and of course, the one you're listening to now, Cattle Pros with Jake Scott. If you like Cattle Pros, check out any of the three other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play, and join the 40,000 other livestock enthusiasts that listen to us monthly. You know, folks, five years from today, you're going to be the exact same person as you are right now, except for the books that you read and the people you get to meet along the way. Welcome to another episode of Cattle Pros. I'm your host, Jake Scott, and today we have a terrific interview with none other than John Sullivan of Sullivan Supply Company in Dunlap, Iowa. In today's interview, we'll cover a host of topics, including the history of the business as John walks us through where they started with very humble beginnings all the way through to where they are today as the company we know and recognize as innovators and leaders and developers of top quality products in the livestock supply business. It's a terrific interview. We hope you enjoy it. We had a blast doing it. Welcome to the show, Mr. John Sullivan. Well, John Sullivan, it is indeed a pleasure to welcome you to the Cattle Pros Podcast. First of all, Thank you for joining us, man. I know you're extremely busy, and we've been trying to carve out some time that works for both of us. So thanks for coming on with us today, John. It is a pleasure to be here, Jake. We're looking forward to it. So your name, uh, I think, is well known by most people, but let's just jump in and give some folks a little bit of background. Of course, you're from Dunlap, Iowa, and you're the owner and founder, among other things, of the Sullivan Supply Company that so many of us in the uh, show cattle world and, and other species are familiar with. Uh, not only that, also a family man, I know, a couple of daughters. You guys are involved with showing a lot of cattle now. So um, very, very cool background there. Let's start, John, with telling us and developing a little more of your backstory. Give us a quick rundown on the beginning roots of the Sullivan Supply Company. When did you begin the business? Um, we started it in 1989. Okay. And, um, my, it was my wife and I, and we were, uh, both of us were 23 years of age. Wow. And, you know, there's a, there's some advantages that, to, uh, how naive we were when we started <laughs> it, to be honest. We, you know, we knew we loved this industry. And um, I knew that I loved livestock uh, showing. Um, basically I knew that I didn't have any land and I didn't have any cattle and I didn't have the means to, uh, raise any purebred cattle, which probably would have been, um, uh, you know, maybe my first choice if I had the means, but, uh, I honestly, I just didn't have it. So I wanted to be involved in the industry and, um, you know, we're just, you, you can't believe, uh, the respect and uh, uh, love we have for for what well, you show livestock, just I, in general. I mean, it seems so simple, but I mean, really, just kind of a driving force of everything that that uh, 
that we love about this business. It just, it's just so cool. Well, anybody that's been around your company for more than 30 minutes, I think that passion comes through and that love comes through. And that's one of the cool things about you. Um, I want to back up just a little bit. 23 years of age, man. What did your wife say when you said, hey, I got this great idea? Or is this something you came up with together? Was she all in from the get-go? Um, you know, she loves showing livestock. You know, she loves that her kids are involved in it, just from the, the basic standpoint of, hey, you you got to get up in the morning right. and uh, feed feed animals, Yeah, you know? Uh-huh. And then, then you got to feed them at night. And then, uh, hey, how... Uh, how aggressive do you want to work on them to try to make them better? Just just like we do as human beings, try to make ourselves better every day. So it's a lot of this life learning concept. She she's a big believer in all that, but she was not um, uh, one that grew up on the farm. So uh, her family had a small uh, restaurant in a in a very small town. So she understands the work ethic of uh, you know they had breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you know about four of them worked up there, and three of them were in the family. So she she mm-hmm. kind of gets that that background of, of livestock and cattle. Um, but we, you know, we got into it. Um, I was managing show cattle for Little Mondo Limousine. Um, and before that for Rosanke Show Cattle down in Texas. And Little Mondo Limousine happened to be the owner of Tombstone Pizza. Yeah, sure. And, and so I was running our show cattle and loving the industry. And, you know, basically, you know, I was 23 years old and I was on my... Uh, my second job, you know, and, and I didn't want to keep moving, you know, and um, yeah, yeah, I started working for Rosanke Cattle Company when I was uh, 18 years old, so. Um, right out of high school, more or less. Yeah, right out of high school, no college, so I wanted to, I wanted to get myself settled in, in some roots, and I didn't want to keep moving around, and we we're thinking about getting married, and it's like, so that brought us to Dunlap, Iowa, back home. And then we were trying to figure out what we were going to do. And it was basically, I'm going to get an ET business or show supply. And um, the ET business, again, I didn't really have the land. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to go back to being a, to vet school too bad. You know, I didn't want to go spend seven years of my life trying to. So I went in the show supply industry. And um, it's kind of funny. There was a big one in Iowa at the time and a big one in Oklahoma. And they were both good sized. And um, I'll never forget it. My dad was it's probably fair to say he's more of a small farmer than he was a, um, he was in a, in a small cattle feeder. He, he, he liked, he loved that his kids show cattle, but it wasn't his deal. You know, yeah. he liked, he liked what it taught him, I think more than him. So he'd give us the room to, uh, make decisions. And he, he was good. At, he'd let us make decisions. Boy, when we were 14, 15, 16 years of age. And I think it made, uh, it made me where I wasn't afraid to make decisions when I was 18, 19, or 20, you know, type of thing. So, um, you know, we, we went back home, and we wanted to be involved in the business, and we thought that we could had enough uh, capital to get in this industry, uh, which it wasn't near enough. We figured that out real quick, but uh, we just thought it was a way to be involved in it, to be honest. We really didn't have any idea of saying oh we're going to have five employees or we're going to have 10 or we're going to have 20 or we're going to have um, we're, we're going to make fifty thousand dollars a year we're going to make 20 we really didn't have any of uh, that as a vision we just kind of had a lot of drive and a lot of love for it and, um, just kind of seemed like everything else kind of took off from there one idea we try and promote on this podcast john is that there are a lot of different ways to be in the cattle business 
and you pointed out a problem when you were 23 years old that I'm sure there's some 23-year-olds uh, listening today that are encountering the same thing. And if you want to be in the production end of, of ag, you said you dreamed of being in the purebred business, but a cow-calf guy or a girl, it just takes so much money for most of those operations to get started, and they're pretty front-loaded in terms of the capital needs. But I like these creative stories such as yours and other people we've had on the show that uh, you found a way to be in the cattle business, albeit somewhat non-traditional at the time maybe or a little outside of the box in terms of your thinking, but it, it paved a road for you to then have the freedom and flexibility to do other things. And, um, you know, I, I heard another guest say this one time. I, it may have been Delvin Heldman, but they said, you don't know what you don't know. And without putting words in your mouth, I'm almost hearing you say that at the time that you and your wife started. You know, you, you said we thought we had enough money, but we really didn't know. So there's probably a pretty steep learning curve involved. Oh, gosh, that was that was so funny. That's That was uh, uh, 15 years of punishment almost on one <laughs> body and mind. Of, and honestly, we got in with, a, with about $100,000. Uh-huh. Um, it's what I'd saved up. I'd saved up, and um, one of my older brothers called me, and he says, hey, there's an old farm for sale here. And basically it was a farm that was so uh, pitiful that the wealthy farmers didn't want it. Uh-huh. And, of course, we're back in 1989 here, uh-huh. and the farm crunch was still lingering in Iowa. So I buy probably one of the worst farms in the county, Jake, for 300 and some dollars an acre. Mm. And by the time I moved back, I actually sold my car. I had one car worth about $600 that I drove when I was in high school. That's my work car. And then I had a nice, oh, decent car. But I, and I had it paid off. I sold my good car and uh, when I was 21 years old and bought a farm. That's what I used for a down payment. And, um, and then by the time I moved back home two, three years later, whatever it was, that uh, farm the farm crunch had kind of worked its way out a little bit, and uh, hey, all of a sudden, I was worth about $100,000 on paper. Mm, okay. So that gave me the capital that I thought was a little bit of a starting spot in um, the show supply business as I borrowed against that farm then, and um, it's why my brother Joe and I, we still get along so good. Uh, he's the one who raises club calves uh, uh, back in Dunlap yet. He and his kids, James and Nick, and his, Joe pointed that out to me that farm he's like john you gotta buy this farm you know i think it's it's cheap right now and and that farm was my you know how everybody needs that big break that yeah. farm was my uh was my break and i sold my car and we invested in that farm but you were pretty well all in if you're committed to selling your car i mean that's burning the ships yeah that is when you're that young <laughs> yeah. it really is but you know my dream was to be involved in the livestock business and then i just kind of wanted to work, i wanted to work for myself it's, it's, I, lo- I love the jobs that I had. I had two excellent jobs um, uh, right in a row. And they were both top-notch ranches and programs. But I just kind of wanted to, you know, I want to do my own thing. So you're on your way. You've got some financing in place. You've got the dream. you got the hustle. Tell us about some of the early days. I mean, uh, now we see this full array and variety of all these wonderful products that you and others have created and that are available to us who are showing cattle, I'm sure that's not exactly the case in 1989. What were some of those first products? Take us back in time a little bit. Um, one of our very first products that we uh, came up with was tail adhesive. 
Okay. And uh, it's interesting, you know, as we start visiting about products, um, tail adhesive and clean sheen was two of the very first formulations that, that um, uh, two of the first three products we come up with. Um, to this day, tail adhesive is probably the most popular product, the most popular adhesive for sure in the United States and has been, and that formulation has gone unchanged, wow. not tinkered, not touched. Okay, clean sheen, still very popular today, um, different. We thought we could improve it. We've, we, it's evolved. So we added hair vitamins. You know, we've lightened it up over the years. We've changed the formulation. You know, maybe 5% here, 10% here, but we thought there was ways to improve it. So it's got its original name. Uh, but, uh, hey, we've, we've evolved with that product over the years. And I think any good company, that's what you do. Your elite products that you, you always look to improve everything you can do. So the but clean your elite products, like like a tail adhesive. Hey, that that thing's that thing's it's elite. It's great. It's uh, leave it alone. Don't. Uh, but clean sheen. Hey, you th you're always searching to do better. I think we could do better, and we've improved that you know two or three times over the years. So your tail adhesive is almost like the Coca Cola. I mean, it's the original recipe still today. Don't mess with it. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Very cool. So as you guys are getting started here in the in the late 80s, early 90s, was it just you and your wife or were you able to bring on some employees and some team members or did you have family and friends pitching in? What did that early crew look like, John? Oh, yeah, it was a hodgepodge. Um, it, it was pretty funny. It's, it's amazing um, what a human being can do if their back's up against the wall. Mm. I mean, it really is. And, you know, we had a, uh, we didn't even own a pickup for a couple of years and we're in a show supply business. Wow. So, uh, <laughs> how did you do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I had a nice trailer. At least I thought it was pretty darn nice. It yeah. cost $6,900. I built it brand new. It was a steel uh -huh. trailer. Uh -huh. It was one of the maroon reddish ones. We still have it today. Did you really? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's like a uh, uh, 6 by 18, I think it is. And, um, I'll never forget that that trailer. I was so proud of that trailer. And and you know when you're a new company, uh, so many people come in and go with new companies and great ideas. And you don't want to be the one that people doesn't think is going to last mm. because they're hesitant to buy from you. Mm. Uh, they don't want to make a switch until they know you're going to kind of make it. Mm -hmm. You know a little bit. And we've seen a little bit of that with a couple of the industry giants. You know where. Well, I had a couple of buddies, they'd come up and say, hey, we're going to buy most of our stuff from you, but we're going to buy a little bit from the other guy because, hey, we don't want to really make him mad yet. And basically, they were telling me that they want to see if I was going to make it. And it was it was pretty comical. Some of them guys are, are still my great friends today. And, and then slowly but surely, oh, they think you're going to make it, and they can see the handwriting on the wall, so, hey, they kind of switched it all over. Uh, but anyway, I'd pull in these shows with this old pickup. I mean, I'm talking a 30-year-old pickup. Jake, that smelled like hogs. It was my brother's hog pickup. I borrowed from him. I mean, this thing, it, it didn't have uh, leather seats. It had cloth seats, so you'd hit a bump on the road, and all the hog dust would fly up, and, um, you know, it, then you'd smell like a hog within three minutes of being in this pickup. <laughs> and there's no air conditioning, marginal heat. It's it's all out. I might even be nice saying it was a 30-year-old junker. It might have been a 40-year-old junker, but... Um, 
so I pulled the show with that, and I, I was pulling the show extra earlier in the morning or late at night because I, I'm not embarrassed of, of uh, what you come from or what, you know, in general. Never even was when I was younger. But I didn't want people to think I was a flimsy business, okay? I didn't want it to affect my business on them not thinking that I was going to make it. Mm-hmm. So I pulled in kind of extra early and parked my nice new trailer, you know, at the Missouri State Fair and try to pull out of there before anybody could see my junky pickup. I just remember Put the pickup behind the barn somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So it was always kind of that mentality at the beginning. And, and you had so many friends. It's like, hey, I used two of my brother's pickups, you know, for a couple of years. And um, my two first employees are, are uh, one of them's uh, with me today still, Scott Kinzer, uh, high school friend, showed cattle together. Uh, hey, he's one of the guys who helped develop uh, a lot of the new products today. You know, he's primary, primarily responsible for the Air Express blow dryer, you know, and, and John Lacey. Uh, John Lacey used to uh, clip my calves when I was young, growing up, and that was the first two employees were local guys who had a passion for the industry that, hey, you went to school with, you know, and... and uh, you spun off each other. And then those guys worked way too hard for me for too little, you know, in the beginning, yes. But they and, must have believed in the mission, John. They had some they, buy-in. They did it with a smile on their face. Yeah. They, they loved the industry, you know. I think that's awesome. So I, I think what is really cool about that story is that you said there was, a, and again, I, I wrote down some notes here, almost a little bit of a credibility curve or people were kind of slow to adapt to some of your product or your line or your brand. So is it fair to say that um, it was a slow climb up the ladder of success for you? There wasn't just instant pickup and adaption of a lot of this? Um, You know, the product line, there was, I would almost say that that was um, traction right away. Okay. With a product line. So it's all pretty immediate uh, success. With a product line. Uh-huh. You know, financially, no. I mean, that was a struggle, you know, for a long time. But but you could see from the onset that the, the product line was gaining traction. Um, but some of them guys, you know, they were just scared to – they didn't want to turn all their business over to you. They do not make it and had to go kind of go back to the other guys. Be, because let's set, let's set this up a little bit for people like me and, and others of a younger generation, John. Your competition at the time has been in business for how many years or decades? I mean, who were the players were, at the time? They were 30- and 40-year-old companies. You know, okay. Something been like around that. forever, well then. established. Ham, Show Supply, and Patterson uh-huh. Supply. And Patterson was in Iowa. It's kind of comical. My dad, boy, he told me, uh, wise guy, hard-working, hard-driving, wise guy. Uh, he told me, don't, don't get in the show supply business, John. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't want me to get into it, you know, um, because he was, he was afraid Patterson was too big. That's the biggest one in the country. It's two hours away. Oh, they were in state. They were in state. So, so you guys went head to head. And I'm like, well, Dad, hey, um, you know, um, I, I get what you're saying, but this is what I, I want to do, you know, and, and um the basis of your life has got to be that, you know, you've got to do what you want to do. And, and, and you're not going to be good at something if it's monetarily driven or it's, um, 
driven by uh, somebody wanting you to do it. You've got to want to do it yourself. Yeah. That's that's a basis of success in life. I think that's very well said, John. And you know that's cool that you're going head to head with one of the giants in the business, but that was also in your state. So you know money's tight at the time. You're trying to build momentum and steam. Tell us about some of your strategy and your tactics that got you to where you are now. I mean, in those early days, you can't print the catalogs we see now. You can't run the ads we see now. We can't, you know, it wasn't all the things that we now associate with Sullivan. So as you're scratching and clawing for survival, I'm sure there was just tons of travel to shows, kind of guerrilla marketing, guerrilla warfare, stuff you could do on the cheap. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, how did you get the edge on those guys? Oh gosh, uh, well, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna have to outwork anybody. I mean, it seems like such an old school uh, thought, but you're gonna have to outwork them, and you're gonna have to outproduce them with the products. And you're gonna treat people how you want to be treated. You know, when they're up there at the counter, it's just kind of a, a basis of uh, uh, how you do business with people. How, how do you want to be treated? That's how you should treat that person. If, if, uh, if something didn't work, if one of your pieces of equipment didn't work, um, uh, you should stand behind it. And that's, it's just easy enough, right? So we cut a lot of expenses, too, because it was a necessity. I mean, the, funny story. So we, we didn't even have a heater for um, probably three or four years in our warehouse okay Ooh. we had to keep everything we had to make sure all the boxes were locked up and it was kind of taped up in a in a can a gallon of clean sheen for example because then it wouldn't freeze oh wow okay if i had a gallon of clean sheen on top of the pallet um hey it'd freeze but if i had it inside the boxes and taped up it wouldn't freeze and uh, i rented a place the old grocery store in town and we basically started in a 20 by 20 garage and we were there for a short year. And then the old grocery store in town became available and we moved into there, but there was no heat. So uh, our first offices, this is just comical as heck. I always razz my wife about this. Um, our first offices were two refrigerator boxes cut in half with a blue tarp thrown over top of it. And a clamp-on light up above, and a Malkaus heater inside there, and you captured all the heat you could with the blue tarp, and you got all the light you could with the clamp-on light, and you ran an extension cord in there for the electricity of your um, uh, whatever you needed it for, right? And when we had three or four of them sitting around our office for about three or four years, as we growed, we still really couldn't afford to redo offices and have uh, heaters, so... Uh, we had three of the middle offices made out of cardboard boxes of refrigerators and blue tarps. So you're literally using cardboard boxes as cubicles for for office space. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and they're dark and dingy as can be, and you've got a clamp on light. Um, you're just trying to catch the heat anyway. You know, anybody who grew up in Iowa, they know what it's like in January, oh, yeah. February, and March. Yeah. So you're trying to catch the heat anyway you can. Uh, but uh, right across the street, one of my buddies from high school, his dad had an appliance store. So we'd go over there and get the uh, uh, refrigerator boxes and make our office. It's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> and I stuck my wife in. I can't believe she actually actually stuck with me all these years. But uh, I hope you've upgraded her since then. 
We we uh, laughed about it the day we built our new warehouse uh, when we had a grand opening in Dunlap. So we're, we're actually that was a, one of the things we reverted back to was the old um, uh, cardboard box refrigerator office. That's fantastic. That's a great story. So I mean, all right. So you guys are plugging along now. Is there a point in time, John, where you felt like, hey, we're seeing some some real growth. We're kind of over the hump. Now this thing's starting to make sense on paper too. How long were you into the business before that moment occurred? Well, five or six years, we could tell. <clears throat> you know, we felt good about what we were doing, and we were uh, turning a reasonable profit. Uh, but the problem is, is then we could we were, we started so capital poor. I mean, we were we were a million dollars behind. I mean, we, we thought we had a hundred thousand dollars. We're going to get in a show supply business. You know, we could go borrow a hundred thousand dollars from the bank. And granted, at the time, banks weren't very aggressive about wanting to loan any money to anybody in an agriculture business in the eighties. So, you know, I went to three banks and they all looked at me funny and I walked out the door, Uh you know, zero from anybody. So I had about a hundred thousand dollars like from, from the farms and Uh you just was capital poor to the extent where you if you made 30000 you couldn't afford to pay your taxes because it went all to your inventory. Oh. You know, if you made 50000 you couldn't afford to go uh, to pay your taxes because, hey, it all went to your inventory. And that was mm-hmm. a cycle that went on for uh, 10, 12 years before we actually felt like we could um, breathe and afford to, to have an inventory, pay on time, and not feel like we were capital core. John, was there a... Um... Go ahead. I said we're just caught in a vicious cycle. Yeah. Of, of, uh, we've seen success through making some money, but we couldn't. Um, I mean, honestly, you just couldn't afford your taxes yeah. because it was all going to uh, uh, inventory capital. It's going right back in the business. So I imagine that there was a lot of learning that had to go on on just inventory management. I mean, because that is literally money sitting in those warehouses, and, and until it gets sold, you know, you've got it all wrapped up. So, you know, I'm sure that was a whole process in and of itself is learning how to correctly manage that. Um, this probably wasn't the proper way, but the honest truth is, I just, when you custom make, and that was always our theory, um, is to custom make products so you can uh, make something better. Why, why are you making something the same as everybody else? Mm-hmm. Try, to, try to make a better item, you know? I don't... I don't care what it is. Try to make it better. So when you do that, you got to get a few more things uh, uh, kind of custom manufactured for you. At the time, now we're doing a lot of our own manufacturing, a, a, a tremendous amount of it. But at the time, we were getting a lot of things custom manufactured for us, and you had to order big volumes of it. And uh, basically, I had to over order my volume because there's no way I was going to be able to repay within 30 days. Mm-hmm. And credit was a little little easier through the companies then. People were a little more uh, friendly. And you, you could work on relationships a little bit. Banks were done with relationships then. They were done. They were, they were, they were uh, that got uh, over with in the 80s with the farm crunch. But businesses and companies were in, in uh, some of them were still a little bit relationship people. So I'd order in more inventory than I should. And then I'd basically call them up 30 days later. And I mean, I, this is just being honest. This is a survival tactic. And just, 
I would never lie to him, but I'd just say, hey, I can't pay you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just it was what it was. I'm not. It wasn't really proper, but it was. It's what I was doing because it was all I could do. But you had but, that relationship with the company, and they had faith in you, and you know, you you did get them paid in time, and so it, it just kept building. I'm sure. What well, what I learned was I probably wasn't really going to get them paid on time, but don't lie to them when you was. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, you're supposed to pay them within thirty or sixty days, and I might say, hey, I'm going to need three months, or I'm going to need extra time. And I never, I never liked them. It was amazing what them people would do for you if you were uh, just being straight up honest with them and just saying, "Hey, I need a time here." Yeah. And so, a lot. Of, I owe a lot of credit to just uh, companies that I that I dealt with because they were uh, essentially they really was my banker back then. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure those are um, those were really important foundational partners for you to have then that you know had a little belief and faith in you and helped you get things rolling. Exactly right, and a lot of them we still deal with today because of that. That's great. Well, you know, you tell us that you started with some of those main products, the teladhesive and the clean sheen, but now as we go to your trailers and we flip open your catalogs or look at your website, I think you guys have truly earned the title of being masters of innovation and development, not only in these products uh, and equipment that we've grown familiar with, but... I mean, you've rippled that out and expanded it into education and just promotion, and there's so many facets now and moving parts, but we'll talk about some of the others. Let's focus on products for just a little bit more. It just seems like every month, every year, you guys are cranking out a newer, better version of an existing product or something brand new and revolutionary and cutting edge for people to try. When it comes to these new products, Tell the audience, where do these ideas come from? I mean, where, what's, what's the, uh, the catalyst uh, for creating these new things? It's a, you know, in the end, it's a collaboration. There's no doubt about that. I mean, um, it's, a, it's a group effort. And, and you get some feedback from your customers, you know. When you're at a livestock event, and uh, so you're, if you're listening to your customers, and you, you don't ever want to be too sensitive about negativity. You want to take the negativity and turn it into a positive and learn from your uh, mistakes and learn from your customers. So we've did a lot of learning from customers. And then, hey, we spend a lot of time at a roundtable, you know. Um, hey, right now, uh, our new product manager, James Sullivan and Scott Kinzer, um, that's what their job is. That's solely what their job is, new products. Um, Matt Burkhart, my GM, and myself, us four sit around a table once a month. It's once a month, and, hey, it's a, it's a day event, and we're bouncing things off each other. And, and, hey, we have weekly meetings with our sales staff and, you know, about various things, and, hey, we're poking them guys for feedback too. Guys, what are you getting out there? What do we need? What needs to be better? And, um, hey, whether it's myself, Matt, James Sullivan is my nephew, or Scott Kinzer, they're going to events. You know, Scott, Scott Kinzer went to uh, national swine events. James Sullivan's going to go to many national cattle events, and they're going there with the sole reason of one thing, to, to entice themselves, to get, kind of stir their minds and, and get out there and... Uh, you know, 
stretch the imagination. And, and we, we, we're very careful when it comes to new products. I mean, and, and I think there's some How so? truth to this. You want them to be authentic. Hmm. You, you, you want them to be advanced. You want them to be real improvements. You don't want to make, you, you don't change something just to change something. Yeah, not just slap a label on a same product or something. And, and yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Or, or even just like say you made an improvement on it, but you didn't. Hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So we're very careful to make sure, hey, if we're going to improve something, let's, let's improve it. And we're always game for that. That's kind of, um, that's my belief system in life. You can always kind of do a, a little better. I mean, you can just always do better. You can always, a person can always do better than they think. And you got to pick it apart and analyze it. But um, don't come up with a new product just to make a, a, a 2% change and it doesn't make the product any better. So we, oh. we kind of have that belief through our company. They, authentic new products. Make them better. Make them real. I love the authenticity aspect of that, and I've, I got to ask you. You know, I would love to be a fly on the wall when it's you and I think you said Scott and Matt and James in a room together. I guess brainstorming and spitballing some of these ideas. But let's um, give us an idea. So, if you do this meeting once a month, do you really come up with you think a viable concept every month or multiple? Or is it just uh, kind of like panning for gold and every once in a while you come across the right idea? So how frequently are these meetings or sessions cranking out something that you can go to market with? Well, we've got a list of, of uh, literally three, three pages of um, you know over 100 ideas that's on our new product list. Oh. We can come up with the ideas almost quicker than we can get the products done. Uh-huh. And that's okay. I don't want to, uh, you know, flood flood the market with a whole bunch of unnecessary new products, or you know. So we try to take a little careful route there, but we don't necessarily um, uh, come up with any earth shattering and in meetings. Um, it, it's usually kind of something you have before you go into the meeting. You know, each individual person kind of has something. Um, but it's wild, and I always say, bring the wild ideas, bring the um, bring the uh, the far out there ideas. Because there's, I've gotten so many bad ideas from people. I shouldn't say bad ideas. I should say ideas that are unrealistic. But then there's about five percent of it that works somewhere. So I like to hear all the creativity, even if it's unrealistic, and um, maybe it leads into something. You know, uh, so that product it doesn't work for, but maybe it works for another product. How does it work, John, when you do come up with one and you say, okay, I, th- I think this is a winner and we need to pursue it. Uh, is there product testing? Is there a proving ground? Walk us through that process. Oh, yeah. Now, we built our new warehouse like um, what three or four years ago. And it, it's the very first time we actually had what I'd call a, um, a, a true warehouse with 80% of the items underneath one roof. Um, You'd laugh. By the before we built that new warehouse, I didn't even actually realize it. But we're just talking about Dunlap location now, not Hillsboro, Texas, or or uh, uh, anywhere else. Okay. But our Dunlap location in Dunlap's a little town of twelve hundred people. Right. And the the beauty of starting a business in a little small town is that you can kind of buy as you need something, maybe 
uh, as you can afford it. We had like, uh, I can't remember, it was 13 or 16 locations around town where we had stuff stored in. And it'd be like the old gas station that you might have bought for 27000 or, you know, an old warehouse building. <laughs> somebody, somebody used to uh, park all their old vehicles in, some, right, some right. wealthy farmer, and he decided he'd sell his old shed for, you know, uh, 42000 And So it was kind of funny how um, we ended up with all these facilities around this little town, but it was just way unmanageable from a standpoint of uh, efficiency. So we were kind of going in that direction until, um, until we, we built the, the new warehouse. But our, our, the, the key to that, there's one building we had that was, I shouldn't say building, one little small office that was beside our show barn. And that's where our uh, um, new product center was. Uh-huh. Okay, so the, the show barn out at the farm is sitting there, and right beside it is just a little little uh, cabin slash office that we used for years. So we'd be just right there. Okay, I'm catching on. So the show barn becomes the uh, the proving ground. The show barn becomes a proving ground with everything. And no, I don't have hogs in my farm, but my neighbor does. So then, you know, we, we, we had an alliance with, with uh, the... the uh, hog people around town, the sheep people, the goat people. So Dunlap is a kind of a neat, unique area right there. It is a um, uh, kind of a uh, showing mecca of people who enjoy showing livestock. So uh, that's that's a that spins into a real uh, kind of a natural thing for what we're doing right there and a natural thing for employees too, by the way. John, I can appreciate what you said about your small town roots, you know, where we're located here in Gordon, we're a town of about 1,500, and uh, uh, it happens to be that a lot of cattle that are sold in this area go to Iowa, and uh, one funny story I'll share with you is that we have a close friend who hauls a lot of cattle out of this country back into Iowa, and he became our uh, de facto Sullivan Supply delivery man because oftentimes he would be driving through Dunlap and we'd say, well, hey, stop and grab us a case of this or we, we need a blower or a fan. And so many of your products have been hauled home in an empty cattle truck uh, over the years back to Gordon. Oh, that's classic. So I want to talk about the one that got away. Um, and what I mean by that, John, surely over the years there has been one of those products that came up uh, in one of these meetings with you and the team, and I mean, you just went all in on it. You felt like this was going to be the next thing, and it never really took off. Maybe that's not true, but I got to ask the question Is there the one that got away? Is there that product that you thought was just going to be a monster success or a game changer, and for whatever reason, it fizzled and didn't catch on? Um, well, you, you know, you. This product is popular, but it should be more popular. But we have a, a whitening shampoo called Natural White. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a whitening, brightening optical shampoo. And it's, it's only like three or four years old. But I think it's, it's like, it's, it's phenomenal product. And we sell it. We sell a pretty good amount to it. But it seems like um, for that market, I think it kind of dominates it. And we're doing pretty good, but... Uh, I'm disappointed that it hasn't caught on more and maybe we haven't did the best job of uh, uh, marketing it because it is, it's still, it's still widely used, but I think it would be a dominant marketplace shampoo. I think it's, it's uh, head and shoulders above anything else. 
but uh, that'd be one of them. Um, you know, in a different, in a different. Now, this one would be more of a huge disappointment in a different way. Um, the turbo fan. Uh-huh. Okay, wildly popular, wildly popular today. I mean, a well-built. I mean, that is a machine. We spend eight extra dollars a motor over uh, our competitor fans. Uh, just because we want an extra heavy-duty half that lasts forever. And them fans are built to last. Okay, great. The cage, this is, this is the, when he said the one that got away, that kind of sparked me. The cage, we could never patent. Okay, and if you notice that, the old, the old, all the old fans a while back, they'd taper in on the edge. And the fan blade would hit on them once in a while yeah. and ruin the fan blade, then hit the cage, yeah. you know. And I didn't like that. And that's when I first started, that's the fans we were selling, and so was everybody else. So, I mean, I'm looking at a uh, uh, way to fix this. And we basically, I mean, and I'm talking, you see them everywhere now. You'll see them in a restaurant business. You'll see them in exhaust fans. You'll see them in, in lots of different things. But we, uh, Scott Kinzer and myself, invented that that. Uh, fan to be square we built it to be square for two reasons because we didn't want the fan blades to hit it had more reason more room for air there when a calf backed into it or lightly hit it and then for hauling them they took it you know quite a bit quite a bit stronger and then it kind of direct you could direct flow the if you put the uh, wire on the sides a little closer together and and Direct, you could kind of direct it to go to the front instead of out the sides. And it's just some simple things that we did on that fan. And I spent way more money than I could afford to spend uh, 15, 20 years ago when we come out with that fan to try to patent it. And it was unpatentable. Oh. And, now, and now it is in every industry all around the world for everything. And it's like, oh, man, it just was not patentable. We couldn't prove. And I went to two or three different patent attorneys. And that is, in a different sense, the one that got away. I wish we had a little more protection with a, with a real good idea there. Because so. it's become a standard, but that square-edged fan cage, and I know exactly what you're talking about. My first fans had the, kind of that radius cage on the end, and now all of our fans are square, but that came out of one of your skull sessions, one of your brainstorming ideas there within the company. That's exactly right, and then... You know, now everybody's got it, not only in our industry, but um, uh, in any industry. And it would have been nice to protect ourselves a little bit. And yes, we've had several patents that we got ourselves protected, but on that particular one, we couldn't prove uh, that it was different enough from other fans to be protected. Very interesting so, then got, story. Then I got stubborn about it, Jake, and so I spent, you know, probably upwards of close to uh, sixty dollars to $100,000 just trying to make sure that it was... Uh, because I couldn't hardly believe that it wasn't patentable. So uh-huh. I got stubborn and went to two or three guys and spent a lot of money that I didn't have 20 years ago. Yeah, well, it's a great design, regardless of the patent issue. Give us a sneak peek on this topic of, ma- of, of innovation and development. Give us a sneak peek, maybe, as to what's coming down the road a little bit in terms of Sullivan's aerosols and daily products what are you guys going to be bringing the, to market here for us in the months, years to come? Yep. Well, we're, we're like I say, we're always, we're always working on it, and we want to make sure that it's been properly tested to the point that, um, you know, so you don't have uh, – there, there's always something that pops up that you didn't expect. But, 
um, if you truly do a proper research and development session and take your take your time and put it through the mill, you can eliminate a, a lot of that. But, you know, hair quality has changed and hair length has changed on livestock, specifically on cattle and in the fitting of different species. Like, we have really ramped up our small animal department. I mean, boy, there's certain regions of certain states that, hey, they want to have a small animal that's a little easier in the backyard or, um, hey, I can have three or four of them or it's not quite as expensive and that has really ramped up in areas and and you still want your your um kid to be involved in livestock but maybe maybe they just you know they prefer a different species and then there's a lot of people showing two species right now instead of instead of just say one back in the old days so we've really ramped up our our small animal uh research and development in general and with that being said, we haven't let go of our, our cattle, you know, at all. And, and a, a lot of the cattle trends have, have changed because of, it's just like we have so many combs that are specific mm-hmm. to certain hair lengths and summer, spring, or fall, uh, roto brushes, certain hair lengths, you know, uh, Teflon combs for show day fitting, you know, daily combs that have more, um, you know, uh, uh, teeth for more blood flow for more stimulation believe it or not one of the things a lot of people don't realize is hair growth is from stimulation and blood flow and why do you want to comb a calf with a 57 tooth comb when you can comb them with a 188 tooth comb okay that that tingles them a little bit more that that massages it a little bit more and that that uh promotes blood flow a little more and that promotes hair growth so um we're always working on things I mean, our, our newest, greatest thing that, that we're looking forward to, we've announced it here a couple, uh, last three or four weeks ago, is we've been working on a cattle blow dryer, livestock blow dryer, I should call it, for three years. And um, we're about to release it late this fall. I'm pretty excited about it. That was my next question, actually. Tell us, and I've heard rumors of the blow dryer, so tell us about what's coming on the equipment side of things, be it with the dryer or even clippers, blades. What's going on in that world? Yeah. Well, like on this cattle blow dryer, and boy, I have times of change, you know. Um, the old Air Express blow dryer, um, you know, was uh, in kind of a that and the old circuiteer blow dryer at the time, and I still think they're well built machines that last and and uh, hey we just wonder you know so you talk about new products what do you do you know i like to bring them in the room and have a conversation and it's just like the desk i'm sitting at right now you know uh got a bad habit of looking at everything and, and thinking i'd like to change it well hey I, w- I wish this desk would have a little you know in a perfect world if i was building desk i'd have a heater and air conditioner down by my foot mm-hmm. you know uh, just just a simple switch can i hit a heater can i hit an air uh, uh, air conditioner and uh, just hey that'd be an improvement to it right so you bring them in you, you everybody starts beating them around and coming up with ideas and air express we just want to make a better filter system mm. so it's if you look around the old air express blow dryer it has an inch half three quarters of an inch wider diameter where it can intake the air around the filter okay 
then you make the filter where you can, uh, the filter doesn't get banged in the back. It has some production. So now you take the filter out. The old circ two blow dryers used to have a filter on the end that would get damaged all the time. You know? Right. Okay. Then you, you, uh, you try to put a, uh, a little more aerodynamic to the front end. The, the front end is, um, it's coned instead of just hitting a wall and just trying to, f it's funneled instead of hitting a wall and try to work its way through um, a small end cap all at once. And by the way, then it doesn't have as much kickback and in the air, the motors don't have to work as hard and the motors last a little longer. Took away so, some of that resistance. Yeah, you took away some resistance. So you look at little things like that that are just kind of simplicity things, to be honest. But the new uh, blow dryer, we call it the Beast, is uh, pretty neat because it's it's not a wimpy thing. It's it's compact. Um, it looks like a miniature generator, you know, almost. Mm -hmm. I'd say it's well built. It's not. It's still weighs less than thirty pounds. But it's well built. It's something that can fall off the top of a shoe. It's not plastic and you're going to break it to, you know, apart. Or it's yet it's not too heavy, you know. And it's uh, it's got a new uh, all new filter system in it that uh, you're actually going to be able to uh, decide what color you want to uh, your blow dryer to be by the filters on the side. So you're gonna uh, you're gonna say okay hey I'm uh, I'm Krebs Ranch and I, my color is uh, you know green and black so you could put uh, a, a uh, interplace of colors on it anytime you want oh and that changes so the colors of, of the machine yeah it's got a lot of interchangeable parts it's got motors that have never been used before that um, it's got the about twenty percent more blowing power than a dual air express combined together okay. oh more than a double blower system more than a double blower and pulls less amps oh that's huge because that you know that's one knock oh, we have a, a tiny little um fairgrounds here in our community and you know a lot of people roll in the carts with the double blowers and there's at this little fair barn there's just not ample electricity to to accommodate all that so that would be a game changer in and of itself if it's more uh, efficient in terms of electricity oh yeah you know it's just got a lot of little bells and whistles uh, of, uh we we basically the leading airflow engineers in the country developed this with us and then now oh how times have changed um from uh not being able to afford a warehouse of now you make long-term decisions for your business and we still operate like a I mean, we're a hey, we're a stock show family-owned and operated business. That that's never changing. We're never going to be a the big corporation, and yet we're going to be kind of aggressive thinkers like that. But we're always going to have a mentality of a of a small business. But we're willing to invest in the future. And so, what do we got in this blow dryer? We got one point one million dollars in research wow. in this blow dryer. Wow. And uh, that's just how we think. Sometimes it's not about the money. Sometimes, and maybe that's a little overkill. Sometimes it's just about uh, being the best you can be, and then everything else will kind of fall into place. And we've made the commitment with this machine to um, come out with something that is completely different in the industry, and we think it's far and away uh, different and better than anything that's been seen out there. And hey, we're excited about it. And it, it's a different machine. You know, it's not, there's nothing like it close when you look at it in 10 seconds and we introduce it. Uh, 
There's just nothing like it on the interior or exterior. So we're looking forward to it. I don't know when it was, but I can distinctly remember when we uh, at the ranch got our first Air Express blowers and what an improvement that was over what we had before, which honestly was a hodgepodge of whatever we could scrape together and get this brand or that brand. I mean, there was no uniformity, but I can remember when we traded all of those in and what a big deal that was. I think it happened at Denver and we had all matching Air Express green blowers and gosh, we thought we were in high cotton. And they blew harder, and they got the cattle dry quicker, drier quicker, and you had the heater button, you know, for the cold mornings, and and uh, those were exciting times. And so this is pretty exciting too to think about. Now you've improved even over a double blower setup, which has kind of become the standard for a lot of people. So very cool, John. That's that's impressive and unbelievable the money that it takes to bring something like that to the public and to all of us out here, I think that's something that at least I have taken for granted. I bet a lot of our listeners have is just how much behind the scenes it takes to come up with these new products. I mean, and that varies so much, Jake. That's an extreme case. We've, we've never had nothing like that, you know. So so if we're going to develop um, uh, a lot of our molds for a lot of uh, uh, a lot of our plastic molds for combs, you know, they're, they're twenty to $30,000 molds, you know, so... You're going to make a feed pan. You're trying to make it, um, you know, a little, a little more room on the on the bottom, so it's got a little bit more substance, and it can't move it around quite as much. And you want to put better handles, and you want to put an extra gallon in it or two, you know, for the size of the feed pan. Those are twenty and thirty thousand dollar improvements. So this would be one of our uh, extremer ones. Talking about improvements, John, it's hard for me to imagine where it even goes from here. Uh, there's been so much ground covered by your company, by other companies, just the innovation and the, the improvements that's been made. I mean, you're an innovative thinker. You're, you're, you're a, a forward-thinking guy. Where do you see everything going from here? I mean, you've talked about several times already in the interview, keep making things better. Is that simply the goal? Or where do we take it from here in terms of, uh, continuing to step this up with the products and equipment. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, I love the resilience of, of the agriculture people. Amen. You know, and we'll, 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 we'll get into that uh, probably a little later in, a, in, in some subjects. But, um, you know, the, just the genetics. I mean, not only the products, but the genetics that, that uh, people are. Um, I mean, how much... For somebody like you, I guess I'll ask you a question. How much harder is it to judge a show than it was six years ago? I mean, That's a great point. It's just more depth of quality. The top end continues to improve. It just And a lot of that has to do with, quite frankly, the fitting and clipping. I mean, and, and there is nothing wrong as long as it's done in an ethical matter at all. Nothing wrong. Just like us getting up in the morning. It's, it's hard for me to understand why you don't want kids to try. And you see that once in a while. And, you know, I hope that what we do as a society and what we do with show cattle and, and show uh, livestock enthusiasts of all species is we allow kids to keep trying to, to work hard to better themselves. Amen. And if they yeah. want to spend a little extra time in a barn, uh, don't hold that against them. Let them, let them uh, use that as an advantage and let them, let them use that as a work ethic and a lifelong lesson, you know. Well and, said. Uh, I, I just hope we don't uh, go there, and I honestly don't mean that from a show supplier end, because I, I honestly don't. I mean that just from uh, a life learning. Uh, and why why do we not want to make a uh, a livestock project 
um, a benefit for kids who want to work hard yeah. harder. They they should see benefit and and um, that's the you know when I grew up showing I couldn't spend quite as much money or you know and my dad wasn't really raising the uh, a guy who was a person who could raise high end livestock. We didn't even try re- really didn't try that till we were kind of older and done showing with gigs you know so. Uh, we had to rely on buying reasonable price calves, but we wanted to compete on a national level. And we did, and we did it because we worked our tails off. And you can still do that today. It, you honestly can, e- even almost more so than ever, because there's so many good cattle out there. There's more good ones to choose from. So anyway, I hope that we, as livestock enthusiasts, keep that thought in mind. Let's change topics a little bit, and I'm going to admit this is somewhat selfish on my part because this is a part of the things that I geek out on and I really enjoy in business, but i got to talk to you about your marketing and your sales because it is so top-notch. The promotions, the advertising material, um, so high quality, the trailers that we see at the shows, the displays that we see are fantastic, and I want to pick your brain a little bit about that because I truly think your marketing is some of the very, very, very best that I've seen. So, first of all, are, who's the brains behind the marketing at Sullivan Supply Company? Um, it's it's a lot like new products. It's a it's a collaboration. You know, I mean, I I love um, uh, new products and 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 marketing myself. I mean, I, I gravitate there, but it's just you know we get it within the, just the the entire company. I mean. That, my, our general manager, Matt Burkhart. I mean, he loves he loves showing cattle. He showed cattle when he was a kid, you know. And his, he's got one. His son loves to show hogs. And he's got a daughter that loves to show cattle. And he's just such a well uh, background guy that. Uh, and then he went to work for egg businesses before we were fortunate enough to work with Matt. And, you know, he leads a team. Uh, James Sullivan now is in charge of the Pulse and Stock Show Universities. Uh, group. Great and products. Within that group is uh, Luke Bolin, Taylor Adcock, and Taylor Harrison. And um, I used to be highly involved in that. Um, that's an area where James has kind of taken over uh, recently with that group. And I've kind of settled into a little bit more new products and some uh, bigger, bigger uh, picture items. But um, it's just the same. It's a collaboration of everybody get together, get your heads in the room. I mean, we rely a lot on our employees, mm-hmm. to be honest. We, we do. It's like we, we're going to, uh, I'm going to, uh, we are going to beat ideas out of them. If they're the quiet <laughs> one, you know, we're going we're gonna to beat the ideas. We're not leaving on. this room until yeah, we have an yeah, idea. <laughs> don't, don't come in here and just act like it's another meeting. You know, you guys are talented. You can all, anybody can do way more than they think. They just have to believe in themselves. And you got to bring out the best in them. And I just am not going to let them not participate. And that's where you get all of our marketing ideas. It comes from those guys. I respect your leadership on that and uh, picking the brains of of those guys because it sounds like a lot of them are boots on the ground, too, in that they're involved in the livestock business. So, you know, you've got their hands, you've got their backs, but why not utilize their brains, too? And I think that's a – we've talked about it on this podcast before. I think that's something that we miss a lot of times in agriculture. So much respect for your position on that. 
it's just it, honestly, it's it's it is a lot of truly self-taught. It's it's uh, marketing and, and our research and development. We've we haven't had formerly uh, uh, people who uh, did that for a living that ever come in and worked at Sullivan Supply. We had we had uh, people who had the ability, and there's there's advantages to that when you don't when you're not somewhere where they did things a certain way. You've got to cr- come in and create a whole new wheel. So everything we have did, I mean, we of course look at other industries and, and people within our industries for good ideas too, but on the most part, you're if you're not somewhere else and you don't get stuck in a rut and a bad habit, then you have an opportunity to come fresh and design your own. And that's kind of what we've always tried to push a little bit. Yeah, I, I think that is great, and, and taking the blinders off of your team, so to speak, and giving them the freedom and flexibility to kind of get wild with their thoughts, maybe on marketing, perhaps the way that they do in those brainstorming sessions on new products, too, is what you've described as a culture with a lot of creativity in several different aspects, and it sounds like a, a really fantastic culture, actually. So you talked about marketing. You said much of it is self-taught. Um, you, you mentioned to us that you went right from high school and, and put on your work boots and got started and uh, no college, nothing like that and as far as formal training or education went. But <clears throat> you know, now in today's world, even with things like these podcasts that we're doing now, but so many great authors, speakers, books, we have access to education in a lot of ways we never did before. Are there places that you look to for some advice or for some training or just just a place to compare notes with other uh, business leaders or entrepreneurs on marketing? I mean, and I'm asking you this because maybe you can point us in some directions too. I mean, where do you look for for new marketing ideas and inspiration? Oh, boy. I mean, I mean, I hate to sound repetitive, but we just kind of employees, mm-hmm. people within the company. I mean, we try to we try to get it out of out of them because they they so understand our industry, and and we're not afraid to go down to hey the the guys that are uh, the show supply trailers. Those guys are knowledgeable about the, about the products. Uh, they know what the customer wants, and they don't really want to be in the marketing end of it too deep. But they're all younger guys for the most part younger guys or gals they mm-hmm. love this industry mm-hmm. and um we kind of search within really we do i mean we, we don't mind looking at i mean i'll be on an airplane and i don't mind looking at delta airlines ads you know because it's from a, a complete different angle mm-hmm. but uh, honestly I, I think our best ideas have always come within just a great employee group and and we do have that culture i mean we really do our new i mean man hey we used to yes we did used to have dingy cardboard box offices. <laughs> With the blue tarps but, and the clamp-on yeah, lights. And... Yeah. and now if you go in our offices, um, they are uh, kind of like loft-style uh, cage, lower cage ceilings. They have. Uh, we built our offices with to look like a think tank area yeah. that bring, bring out creativity. So if you walk in our offices in Dunlap, they are like... Uh, kind of steel being a lights like bent, you know, like, uh, uh, innovative and creative to kind of get the juices flowing. Uh-huh. Even our, uh, where we all have our team meeting at and our, you could say our conference room, 
it's we built it all with creativity in mind to be honest and and a lot of that is is uh again i'll go back to matt burkhart the the um our GM, a lot of that was, uh, he, he loves that look. So that's kind of his idea. And when he brought it up, I'm like, oh, that is fantastic. Of course we want that. That, that makes everybody, uh, all of our offices are glass doors. So you can, yeah. You so can it's very open. Office. I mean, very, uh, um, very interactive, it sounds like. Yeah, it's interactive. And then it's, it's, it's kind of like, it got an innovative feel when you're there. It's kind of, it's got a creative, creativity feel. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to say I look to our employees every time I want to learn something on that. And I mean that. That's just that's not lip service. That is just the truth. I don't know if you guys uh, ever allow tours through that new facility, but if you do, put me on the list. I'd love to see that in person. Oh, yeah. No, anybody who ever wants to. Um, we, we actually have a showroom now for the first time in 28 years. <laughs> we, have, we have a showroom, so uh, we're, we're always happy to show that off, and then we can go up and uh, look at the warehouse or the offices. That'd be great. So, you know, within the last 10 years, I would say digital marketing has become huge for for anybody in business, uh, something like yours, or even uh, us folks in the production cattle business, Facebook, Instagram, internet, um, websites, all that's become big. How did you catch up to that? There had to be some uh, some adjustments. Did you have to bring in some outside help, or were you also able just to do that organically from within? Um, well, we've definitely used some professionals there, you know, that, that would brought us up to the speed, you know, at the end of the day, we try to do things in house. We really do. Um, but, uh, we, we can't, uh, if we want high end, uh, virtual stock show you learning, uh, videos, we're going to, you know, and, and that's an area where we've really grown a lot. We're wanting to learn a little more virtual learning and make it accessible for a customer to get on uh, line real quick and, and, hey, we can stay home and still learn something about showing livestock. So that's been an area of growth that we're expanding. Um, but a lot of our um, just how to reach the marketplace and uh, to-dos is, is kind of that pulse and stock show you crew. You know, they sit around, same thing as we do with new products, a, a think tank table, and have their meetings and uh, figure out how to uh, uh, reach our customers. So right. it, it, we've definitely gotten uh, uh, very, very, you know, for I'm a 54-year-old guy who doesn't have Facebook, <laughs> okay? And I just kind of refuse to spend an hour a day on it. I don't want to get sucked in, yeah. you know? So. Um, I, I think it's great to keep up with your family and friends or whatever, but I just don't want to really get sucked into uh, wasting an hour a day with it. So I don't need it, and I, I just avoid it. But I'm still very aware of uh, somebody who doesn't want to spend a lot of time with that. I'm still very aware with, hey, that's that's a world at your fingertips right there. So, we, so we're going to utilize it. Yeah, aware of the value of it for sure. So a, a little earlier in the interview, John, <clears throat> You made a comment that you had pulled back from some other areas in the business so you could focus on some big picture things. And I'd like for you, if you would, to give us a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look as to what maybe your day-to-day looks like as the leader of Sullivan Supply. And I'm going to throw a question out uh, as uh, at you here. It's been said that as a leader, your job, a leader's job, is to make yourself obsolete in terms of having a daily task. 
so that you can focus on big picture things, you know, uh, vision, goal setting, direction, whatever. How do you feel about that statement? And, and if you agree, what's that look like for you? Um, well, we're, we, we like what we do. So, um, I mean, in general, I'm, I'm, I'm going to work 60 hours a week to be, to be honest, at least. And it's, I like what I'm doing. It doesn't feel too bad. Like I'm making myself, uh, work yet, you know? So, uh, I've given up some responsibilities in the company because there's people that are better at it than me you know james uh, sullivan and scott kinzer are better at um uh, coming up with new products than i am uh matt burkhart is better at managing um uh, 70 80 100 employees than i am and um just uh, you know the people who run our marketing department they're better at it than i am so you know over the years uh Heck, I used to make the rope holders. Um, I used to order the product. I used to place some of the ads. That's a, that's a neat thing about Solomon Supply is, hey, I used to go to 100 shows a year in the trailer. So I did a little bit of everything. Actually, I'd say I did everything in our company. Packed the packages, made the rope holders, everything above. So you know what it takes. That's, that's neat. So when you're, when you're dealing with your uh, employees, uh, you fix the clippers. You've sharpened the blades. You did it all, so you know you feel comfortable knowing what they're going through. So, with that being said, I mean I'm I'm involved in you know several different areas, but I hope because I don't think it's actually it's it's accurate to say uh, it's absolute obsolete in terms of uh, daily tasks, acting like you're not, you're, you're, uh, you're just kind of obsolete in general. Uh, I don't really agree with that. And the same token, you don't want to be um, micromanaging, right? There's a happy medium in there. If you're involved and um, you're stimulating each other and everybody's fired up and everybody's uh, working, feeling good about it and feeling involved, and at the same time, point you're letting them do their job and you believe that they can do their job and they're more capable than than you so that's kind of where i go with it i think it's kind of a happy medium you know i i'm not going to be the leader who's on my email all day long and never seen uh uh people who are performing right i'm just not going to be that person so at the same time i don't want to i'd like to get together make some nice long-term goals get a plan and and let watch people develop it, make it happen. And, and every once in a while, it's great to interject. You know, I'm an, I'm an energy guy. I mean, I want to, prov- I want to provide some uh, creativity and thought and some energy once in a while. And uh, everybody needs that. Uh, you know, I want people to do it to me too. So to follow up on that thought, John, as, as you pulled back from, okay, I, I was making the rope halters. I was packing the boxes. Was there ever one of those jobs that was hard for you to let go and to trust someone else to do? I mean, some jobs you were probably thankful to get off of your plate, but is there something that stood out as the company grew that you're, you know, you had to trust uh, one of James or Matt or one of those guys to do, but it was hard, admittedly, to kind of let that go and to trust someone else to do that? Did you ever have a moment like that? Um, well, 
when you first started in the business, yeah, that's definitely, that's a, le- that's a learning curve, you know, and, um, I didn't even want anybody else to work the trailer. It's your baby. I mean, how do you let somebody else hold your baby, right? You didn't want somebody else to. You wanted to make sure that the, that uh, you know everybody got the customer service they deserved. They deserved, and you know, yeah, I knew that if I had a bad day, I'd suck it up. But sometimes, you know, it, it's it's not everybody's craved the same. So when some people are having a bad day, they're not gonna they're not gonna. Um, uh, hide it quite as well or work through it quite as well. So I was scared of that, believe it or not, you know, and I, I think what broke me down and this, this is just so funny too. I, I talk about this uh, quite a bit to employees. We just, I was just visiting with a couple of them uh, yesterday and um, it was about uh, my dad towards the last 15 years or so of his life, he sold Piner seed corn. And he loved it, you know, and he was just he was just one of those guys that he loved it. And he was a very particular person. And, um, you know, he's always worried about how uh, uh, he was obsessed with how clean the warehouse was and how clean the floor was. And, and um, I mean, man, it was just it had to be perfect. And I just about tried to kill myself the first, you know, five, eight, ten years in business. And I finally figured out that. You do need to be, I mean, I do not want to undersell perfection. I'm doing the best you can because I believe in that totally. But it's okay if that floor is 10% off. There's things a little bit more important than that floor being perfect. Yeah. So, you know, I got where I give a little on that because there's things more, and you go to something maybe a little bit more important. And, and you know, how, your products that you have and how you treat your customer, maybe that's a little more important than how clean you are your uh, warehouse floor is and and by gosh i sure want that clean if we can but i I mean i didn't really learn that till i was you know 30 years old it kind of took took me 30 32 years old to figure out and i learned it from my dad and and just kind of popped in my head one day it's like um you got to give a little if you don't give a little once in a while you, you can't grow it doesn't mean you have to accept uh lesser quality it just you just you got to have priorities in mind so Something that's that's always stuck with me, John, is a quote. I think Mark Cuban said it. Perfection is the enemy of profit. And his point was sometimes 90% is okay. It's not going to move the needle that much to get it to 100%. Well, you mean just whether it's profit or other projects or, or, uh, yeah, getting getting so obsessed with one thing, you forget about the other thing. See, so (laughs) there's a lot of truth in it. So when we've talked to other business leaders on this podcast, we've always talked about the topic of culture. And so, John, I want you to describe company culture uh, inside Sullivan, but that's how I wanted to ask the question. But already in this interview, you have just organically brought out so many things that I've picked up on and written down about your culture. First of all, over and over, you've talked about passion and a passion for the business, and a, and a true buy-in and interest in the business. A lot of your team there, it sounds like, are directly involved with the business outside of work, livestock, I mean. Um, you talked again and again about a strong work ethic, and um, uh, everybody busting their butt, the hours that you put in. You've talked a ton about the creativity within your company um, at every level, you know, from your general manager to the, to the guys manufacturing, everyone in between. And uh, what I like 
from what I've heard so much in this interview, is how much you're willing to give credit to your other team members and the other people there um, in the group. You know, this guy came up with that idea. He, he works and does such a great job over here. Um, tell us a little bit about your culture. Is that just, again, something that you don't think about? It's just the way we are? Or is that something that is pretty intentional and that you guys do work on? Uh, you know, I don't know. I can't say we really work on it. You know, we don't intentionally try to um, work on it. Um, it's just we've got a lot of people who work there who like like this industry. You know, they like showing hogs. They like showing sheep. They like showing goats. Or they like showing cattle. And, you know, I always say we're, we're, uh, we're like a whole bunch of competitive athletes, mm. you know, um, and it's true. I just you bring the competitive juices over to uh, livestock competition a little bit, and so we've got a lot of people that are that are like that. And you know as well as I do, Jake. People attract likes, and um, I think that's what we've really did there over the years. Is is um, is we uh, we attract uh, you know our likes, and boy, it doesn't make a difference if. Um, I'm vis- visiting with our uh, uh, manager in Hillsboro, Texas, Tyler Adcock, or um, I'm visiting with with Katie Call in Hills in Hillsboro, Ohio. Another, another we got two uh, Hillsboro's locations now, one in Ohio and one in Texas. But uh, they're, they're just like boy, they're just all in. You know what I mean? Uh, you bet. And, uh, uh, Bryce Tiffany, our our he's our Iowa show manager, and Bryce is always hey he's always pushing himself to try to figure out how he can put up a better display. And I mean he's a very he likes people and he's a customer orientated person. So we're always kind of uh, I think a lot of it is uh, Matt Burkhart is a very good communicator and he kind of rounds people up and he gives them a uh, opportunity to voice their opinion. Mm-hmm. And then he, you know, his ears are wide open. I think my ears are wide open. And you know, we've got to be pretty decent sized company, but we kind of have the mentality of uh, of uh, small business. I mean, we our our desks are always open. We want to hear what we learn from our employees. And uh, and just because we're a small business doesn't mean we can't be aggressive. You know, mentality. So we kind of combine uh, a little bit of aggressiveness with. Uh, a little bit of, Hey, listen to everybody. And then, um, most of our employees, we're getting them. Uh, I mean, you know, a lot of people in agriculture say that they can't find their help. Yeah. Uh, we hear it all the time. Yep. You hear it all the time. We don't have a problem. We, we've been finding great help for many, many years. We've always had a good, and, and I think it's a, a love of the industry that we're in and we're willing to listen to them. And they're going to um, they're going to participate at Solomon Supply one way or the other. If they're if they're not, we give them every opportunity. Mm-hmm. We we want them to be heard, you know, because we want to we want to make every improvement we can. Uh, no matter how good, you know, nothing's as good as you think it is, and nothing's as bad as you think it is, you know. So if you think you're doing pretty good at something, there's still room to to uh, get better at it. Love that quote, nothing's as good as it is, as you think it is, nothing's as bad as you think it is. Boy, that's a timely quote for, for 2020. That's something we can keep in mind there. 
Let's talk about, um, you know, you guys have been enormously successful with the business. You created a lot of great products. But um, one thing that I think uh, is as impressive to me as the success is your willingness to also give back to your customers and to the show cattle and, and show livestock community in general. But you guys have done a ton of work um, uh, in the last few years with education and support and and just kind of letting your hair down and having some fun at some of these events. Tell us about some things like Stock Show University and some of these just crazy off-the-wall events that you've created. How did some of that come into existence? Uh, you know, a lot of them same think tank uh, sessions. Uh-huh. You know, so Stock Show University is ran by Taylor Harrison. Uh, loves education, loves kids. Um, of course, we're we're uh, a company that that works with farmers, ranchers, and a lot of youth. So we're we're going to have people who who like kids in general and 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 believe in what they're doing here. So you know, we we have uh, like boy, the amount of time we spend on uh, junior nationals. Uh, preparing for junior nationals um, would be amazing. I mean, we start oh, in, in, we start uh, February fifteenth, and boy, from February fifteenth to uh, June tenth, it is full bore. What can we do at junior nationals with, with that kind of that marketing poll stock show you team? What can we do to kind of uh, make kids have fun? Uh, uh, how can we get to know our customers better? How can we learn from them? You know, c- kind of them, th- those so- sort of things, just in general. So that, that's just around a round table with four or five people. We've got, we've got a running list there too. You know, of more ideas. Of more ideas. It's like we got a foosball tournament. You know, we don't know how we're going to pull that off. I don't know if we're ever going to do it, but it's on the list. You know, <laughs> it just it's just crazy things like that. And there's a hundred of them, and um, once in a while we go, uh, we, you know, we'll just kind of go grab one, you know? You know, I think that's fun because sometimes this gets so competitive. And, and you mentioned earlier that whether you're, uh, you know, you're selling the show supplies or you're buying and selling cattle, fitting them, judging them, whatever, we've all noticed the increase in the level of the competition, the talent involved in the business. Um, everyone stepped their game up. And with that, sometimes can probably come an unhealthy level of competition so it's good to have these events in my opinion where we get back in and remember a little bit that hey we're all kind of in this together and and humans and we can still cut up and and have fun together and do some crazy things so i applaud you for doing these i think there's a lot of value in them i think internationals are, are the, the epitome of that you know they yeah. really are yeah and, and jake a lot of the things we do um we just like we just we just want the industry to flourish, you know. The, the the pulse is probably not the smartest economic decision for Solomon Supply. It probably isn't, but it, it's just something I've always wanted to do. Uh-huh. It's just like, can we have one daily feed where somebody can get in on a on a day to day basis and just kind of see what's going on in mm-hmm. the industry, you know? And that's all it was. It started from there. And, you know, and we, we, 
we we love that. It's just like, hey, it's just like getting up and reading your local paper, except it's about the stock show industry. You got something to kind of catch up on every day. That's exactly so, what it is. It's just a place to go get on the news. It's harder for some of us to travel as much as we'd like, and and it is a great resource to kind of keep involved and stay in the know. Yeah, I love our little three and four minute videos of a of a, a major show. So you can sit there and you can be watching the uh, Indiana State Fair champion steers, mm-hmm. and you can get on there in three to f- three or four minutes and get a pretty good look at uh, those better steers. And then hey, you get a look, quick look at the top five, and you don't have to spend. Uh, and we don't, you know, we love like Walton webcasting. By the way, you know, we don't, we don't look at the pulse. We look at nobody has any competition. Okay, anybody like that. We're just all about them because it's just good for the industry. Um, but if you don't want to sit there and watch for three hours or six hours, you can kind of catch up quicker, you know, on, on the pulse. So it is, you know, any customer ever wants to send anything in, do anything like that. Your cousin's birthday or your sale coming up or, hey, I need a heifer hold from Kentucky to Ohio. Um, that's what the pulse is for. Anything we can do to help. Uh, it's a great tool. John, as we begin to wrap this up a little bit, I still had a handful of questions that I had written out I wanted to ask. I, I didn't have a good topic necessarily where they fit in. So I want to ask you just a few questions. We'll just kind of do them rapid fire, but I can't let you off here without having a chance to ask you about some of this. So from what you've told us, you you know, obviously in the beginning, man, it was just you, one man band, you and the wife, you're charging, charging. Now you've got a large team, but over the years and, and even today, you tell us that you pour so much of yourself into this business. I got to ask you, do you ever feel a need to take a break, recharge your batteries, refill your tank, just to kind of keep that energy and creativity in you so that you can continue to pour into the business? What does that look like? Oh, I've still got some problems there. I don't play golf. My wife. <laughs> Are you a little deficient in the hobby department? My wife is a trooper. Let me tell you, she's a good woman. Oh gosh, um, she's put up with me for a lot of years of just uh, not being able to uh, let go of things and kind of got to do them right. And, and uh, I don't want to say obsessive, but. You know, get get too over involved, maybe, and then having to dig myself out of all kinds of projects. But you know, I don't really have. If I get any spare time, you know, I just want to hang out with uh, Sarah Sage or, or my wife. You know, kind of, and and I don't even care really what it is. I mean, anything's a simplicity thing. You know, it's just uh, we like to watch uh, a little football and, and family tailgating there. That's probably one of our, our our bigger things. But we can do something as simple as play. I couldn't play re, play real golf, but we can do putt putt golf or something <laughs> like that. But, um, we're we're probably a little void of that. I'm probably a little void of that area. You know. Very fun though, hanging out with the family. You bet. Just anything simple with them is good with me. So earlier in the podcast, when you were telling us about when you got started, and and you said maybe you were a little naive about what was in front of you. Looking back now, though, uh, we even made the comment, you don't know what you don't know. What's one thing that you do know now that you wish you would have known when you started, John? (laughs) Uh, 
you know, the capital would be one thing, you know, just, just, I didn't start with enough capital. So it was kind of like, um, you lived like a dog for about 15 years, you know? So I would have tried to, tried to, uh, and it's, it's probably a good thing. I toughened it out because I probably would have had to borrow the money from somebody and get in, uh, uh, various partnerships, you know, then you wouldn't be, um, uh, I, I like the idea of kind of be a, a family-owned business, you know, mm-hmm. that, that truly cares about the, about this industry, you know. So uh, it probably worked out for the best, but I wish I would have had more capital. Yeah. Somewhere out here today, I would wager that there is a 18-year-old, much like yourself, uh, when you were young and starting with some, some big, crazy dreams, some goals, some ambition, if you could go back, John, this is kind of a deeper question, but let's say you could go back and you could talk to an 18-year-old John Sullivan today. What advice would you give him? Oh. Surround yourself with honest people. You know, partner, work with, make sure they're honest and uh, dedicated and you know, it can you can overcome lack of talent if if you're truly a good person that just carries the basics. Just just work hard, be honest, and and um, you, you know everybody's got a talent. It'll kind of show up. And be an over be an overachiever. You know, quit quit running from uh, uh, making excuses and running from work. You know, I mean, it sounds so basic, but it's it's really getting to be, uh, uh, it, you know, everyone's talked about the problems. How about find a solution? I mean, uh, I think the younger generation, man, I'd love to be 18, 20 years old again. I think there's a huge advantage. Oh, huge. Uh, there's opportunities out there that are unbelievable because uh, it's, it's just a uh, percentage of people, less less percentage of people want to truly uh, they're sat- nowadays more of them are satisfied and relaxed. And so there's more of an advantage, uh, less competition, you know, not as many, not as many kids are as aggressive as they used to be. So that produces a lot of opportunity for kids who want to, uh, who actually want to fulfill their dreams and work for it. What great advice that is. And if you missed what John just said, go back and listen to this again. Stop talking about problems and start talking about solutions. Again, so, so timely for the day and age that we're living in right now and some of the junk that we're dealing with in our country. A lot of people could stand to hear that advice. Maybe we'll put that out on our Twitter page or something. That's a great quote. So let's wrap it up, John. This is, uh, we kind of had some deep, serious questions for you there. So let's, uh, Shift gears. Let's let our hair down a little bit, lighten it up just a little bit here. We end every one of our Cattle Pros podcasts with a little segment we call Stock Shows and Burritos. And what that's all about, of course, we all love going to stock shows. One thing that we love to do is go eat at some great restaurants or try out some good food. But I got to thinking, John, in all your travels, in all your experiences, in all the years you've been doing this, you've got to have some epic stories from the road. So I'm going to just kind of turn it over to you here, lighten it up a little bit for us. Do you have a favorite show? Do you have a favorite memory? Do you have a favorite thing that, uh, that comes to mind 
from your experiences in this business. Tell us one of those, if you would. Um, you know, a lot of my memories come from uh, Denver and the yards. Uh, mm -hmm. Just what people would do to show cattle down there on one of those rough years. <laughs> it seems oh. so simple, but that, that's really just, a, it was amazing how, how uh, people uh, would, what they'd overcome the obstacles to get them carload bulls showed down there on some of them really bad years, you know, always, uh, and I, and I loved that show because of that. So, um, you know, Denver and the yards, no doubt about it. I always loved it because of things like that. And in Louisville, you know, the, uh, the, the open class shows, you know, you got that environment where the weather's pretty good, but the cattle are still age advantaged and, um, uh, you know, kind of maxed and the, uh, uh, a lot of participation and the level of quality there is just unbelievable. And, uh, boy, I mean, I love it that my daughter is, uh, involved in this industry and, and loves it, you know, uh, my youngest one, I can't tell, uh, if she likes cats better than dogs or dogs <laughs> better than cattle, yeah, she's 11, but, but she's a cool, creative kid and I love her for that. But boy, I can't wait till I can sit someday. I can go to live and just sit back and watch the whole show <laughs> as a spectator, <laughs> like, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm serious. You know, just take it all in and, uh, just watch cause the quality is just so unbelievable with some of them, uh, um, uh, female classes and bowl classes there. So that's my two favorite shows. And, and kind of goes with memories like that. Two of the greats. John, I would uh, be in a lot of trouble with our listeners if I didn't ask you for some kind of reaction to the news. And as we're recording this, of course, we know you folks are listening to this at all different times. But as we're recording this, just yesterday the news broke that, unfortunately, the National Western Stock Show for 2020 has been canceled or postponed, I think, as it was worded. John, what's your reaction to that? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a it's a tough one for um, people in this industry. You know, um, you've got people who uh, use that for uh, their marketing tool, and uh, people and families who are uh, go there with carload bulls or cattle on the hill. And, and there's quite a few breeders that just use that one show for kind of their, uh, um, uh, you know, I, I guess I'll call it a vacation, but it, it really isn't. It's a lot of work, but it's kind of a combination of getting acquainted and, and meeting other breeders and getting out there and seeing a lot of other people's cattle. So, you know, it's tough. I mean, I wish we could have it. And, I mean, it, it's tough times we're living in right now. It, it is. I, I'm not going to say there's a right or wrong. I mean, I wish uh, maybe we could have had a junior event there, maybe a lesser event of some sort. That that would be I, I understand if they're nervous about uh um open up the floodgates and so forth um but at the same token it, it would have been nice if, if uh we could have had a little maybe a downscaled event of some sort you know get the get the junior kids involved or or uh, uh part of part of the stock show maybe could have uh, come to life for us and, and uh i could have seen a lot of a lot of positives in that yeah, absolutely. Well, interesting year, lots of changes this year, and no surprise that something like that comes at us too, I guess. But uh, we'll endure. You said it earlier, most resilient people in the world are cattle people or livestock people, and certainly uh, better things lay ahead for all of us, I think. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I'm, you, don't, you don't lay your head in the sand. I mean, 
there'll be you you've seen what's happened this summer with with uh, what i'll call pop-up shows and mm-hmm. spin-off shows and um agriculture people are they're just really pretty amazing they're just resilient like i've never seen and you don't you don't see that i've worked with several people in many different industries they don't have the perseverance of uh agriculture people they just don't uh, just that agriculture people know how to survive generation to generation it's 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 a fabric and they've got it so we're going to be good this this industry will come back roaring and you know what um, you'll see more people want to show livestock than ever before in three to six months you just wait and see because uh, nobody wants to stay at home and uh, nobody wants to uh, um, crawl in a hole. People want to go on with their lives, and they know that this is a this is a, a really neat uh, families that spend a lot of time together, and they know this is a good family bonding time. You know, to get out and show livestock together, and uh, it's good lifelong lessons. There's no doubt about it. Absolute truth, and in a, uh, just an outstanding way, I think, to wrap up our interview today. John, on behalf of a very grateful audience here on the Cattle Pros Podcast, uh, we want to recognize that your time's valuable, and we appreciate you being willing to spend some of it with us today. We're certainly better for it. Great interview, and uh, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you for your time today. Hey, thank you, Jake, and uh, thanks to everybody in this great industry for uh, being a part of it. You're not hard to find a, a quick Google search or whatever, but why don't you remind our listeners how to get in touch with you guys at Sullivan Supply, website, information like that. Yep, SullivanSupply.com. And then, then there's a link there if you want to get on the Pulse. Uh, uh, we've got a really neat order online uh, website there as well. So, Or you can call in at 800-475-5902. John Sullivan, thank you very much. We look forward to seeing you at one of those livestock shows in the future. Hey, thank you so much, Jake.